Good evening, everyone. Glad to have everybody back. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Come, Holy Spirit, Spirit of wisdom and Spirit of love, open our hearts, open our minds, so that we can know the truth, love the truth, and live the truth every day of our life. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. All right. Tonight we're in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. We're in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, and we're starting on paragraph 290. We're still talking about creation, where we left off the last time. Paragraph 290. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Three things are affirmed in these first words of Scripture. The eternal God gave a beginning to all that exists outside of himself. He alone is creator. The verb create always has God for its subject. The totality of what exists, expressed by the formula, the heavens and the earth, depends on the one who gives it being. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and all things were made through him and without him was not anything that was made. Did we do this last week? No, last week we did uh, history. No, I meant the week before that. Did we do these spaces already? I don't know. I, I reviewed it. Maybe. I don't think we did. Okay. I'll All right. If it sounds familiar. Paragraph 291, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Um, the New Testament reveals that God created everything by the eternal Word, His beloved Son. In Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. You know, that's, uh, that's from Colossians chapter 1. And this sounds silly, and I guess it is silly. But you know, when um, after my conversion, I still did a little bit of farming. And when we were be baling, when you're baling hay or baling straw, something that happened quite a bit in the old days was the baler would break down. And um, it was always a pain. You'd have to fix the baler and it messed up your whole situation. Um, and I used to always recall this verse, that God holds all things together and I'd be on that wagon and I'd say, Lord, you hold all things together. Hold this baler together. <laughs> Don't let it break down. I know that sounds silly, but that's exactly what I used to ask. Oh, I tell you. 
In him, all things hold together. You know, if God abandoned us, we would cease to exist. God holds us in existence at every moment. How can anybody not give thanks and praise to God? The church's faith likewise confesses the creative action of the Holy Spirit, the giver of life, the creator spirit, the source of every good. Paragraph 292. The Old Testament suggests and the New Covenant reveals the creative action of the Son and the Spirit, inseparably one with that of the Father. This creative cooperation is clearly affirmed in the Church's rule of faith. There exists but one God. He is the Father, God, the Creator, the Author, the Giver of Order. He made all things by himself, that is, by his word and by his wisdom, by the Son and the Spirit, who, so to speak, are his hands. Creation is the common work of the Holy Trinity. It is true that the three persons of the Holy Trinity, we've said this before, do all things together. Um, all three uh, are involved in creation. They're all three persons, but there's only one God. Um, paragraph 293. Scripture and tradition never cease to teach and celebrate this fundamental truth. The world was made for the glory of God. St. Bonaventure explains that God created all things, not to increase his glory, but to show it forth and to communicate it. For God has no other reason for creating than his love and goodness. Creatures came into existence when the key of love opened his hand. The First Vatican Council explains this one true God, of his own goodness and almighty power, not for increasing his own beatitude, nor for attaining his perfection, but in order to manifest this perfection through the benefits which he bestows on creatures, with absolute freedom of counsel, and from the beginning of time, made out of nothing, both orders of creatures, the spiritual and the corporal. A couple basic truths. God did not need to create anything. God is perfect in every way. He, he did not need to create something. But uh, he did, and the church teaches that God did it simply to show forth his goodness to his creatures. This doesn't increase his glory. God is infinitely glorious. It doesn't increase his happiness. He's already infinitely, perfectly happy within himself. And, um, and the other thing is that God made out of nothing. Uh, God, only God can create something from nothing. Something from no thing. And uh, only God can do that. We humans, we use raw materials to make things. 
The glory of God consists in the realization of this manifestation and communication of His goodness, for which the world was created. God made us to be His sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace. For the glory of God is man fully alive, Moreover, man's life is the vision of God. If God's revelation through creation has already obtained life for all the beings that dwell on earth, how much more will the Word's manifestation of the Father obtain life for those who see God? The ultimate purpose of creation is that God, who is the creator of all things, may at last become all in all, thus simultaneously assuring his own glory and our beatitude, our happiness. Section 4, The Mystery of Creation, paragraph 295. We believe that God created the world according to his wisdom. It is not the product of any necessity whatever nor of blind fate or chance. We believe that it proceeds from God's free will. He wanted to make his creatures share in his being, wisdom, and goodness. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. From the book of Revelation. Therefore the psalmist exclaims, O Lord, how manifold are your works! In wisdom you have made them all. And the Lord is good to all, and his compassion is over all that he has made. Paragraph 296, God creates out of nothing. We believe that God needs no pre-existent thing or any help in order to create. Nor is creation any sort of necessary emanation from the divine substance. God creates freely, quote, out of nothing. If God had drawn the world from pre-existing matter, what would be so extraordinary in that? A human artisan makes from a given material whatever he wants while God shows his power by starting from nothing to make all he wants. Scripture bears witness to faith in creation out of nothing as a truth full of promise and hope. Thus the mother of seven sons encourages them for martyrdom. This is from the book of Maccabees where those seven sons are all martyred. I do not know how you came into being in my womb, it was not I who gave you life and breath, nor I who set in order the elements within each of you. Therefore the creator of the world, who shaped the beginning of man and devised the origin of all things, will in his mercy give life and breath back to you again, since you now forget yourselves for the sake of his laws." Look at the heaven and the earth and see everything that is in them, and recognize that God did not make them out of things that existed. Thus also mankind comes into being. 
you know, she was encouraging them to die bravely and to have faith that God, who made everything out of nothing, could surely raise their bodies once again from the dead. And, you know, that's, that is our hope. That is our faith. That God, who made everything the first time, can certainly make it again in the new creation. Since God could create everything out of nothing, He can also, through the Holy Spirit, give spiritual life to sinners by creating a pure heart in them and bodily life to the dead through the resurrection. God gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. And since God was able to make light shine in the darkness by His Word, He can also give the light of faith to those who do not yet know Him. God creates an ordered and good world. Paragraph 299. Because God creates through wisdom, His creation is ordered. Quote, You have arranged all things by measure and number and weight. Unquote. That's from uh, the Book of Wisdom. The universe created in and by the eternal word, the image of the invisible God, is destined for and addressed to man, himself created in the image of God, and called to a personal relationship with God. Our human understanding, which shares in the light of the divine intellect, can understand what God tells us by means of his creation, though not without great effort, and only in a spirit of humility and respect before the Creator and his work. Because creation comes forth from God's goodness, it shares in that goodness. And God saw that it was good. And... Um, Later, God, after he makes humans, he says it was very good. For God willed creation as a gift addressed to man, an inheritance destined for and entrusted to him. On many occasions, the church has had to defend the goodness of creation, including that of the physical world. Well, that's certainly true. There are a lot of dualistic philosophies down through the history of the world, where people think that matter is evil and spirit is good. And yet the church constantly defends that all things are good. Matter was created by God and God said it's good. So everything that is, is was created for good and for, for mankind. And that's the other thing. I don't think people realize especially modern-day people who are out here trying to save the earth and they could care less about human beings, you know, is that this entire world was created by God for us. You know, it's an amazing thing. Every single thing on this earth was created for us. So, um, human, human beings are the highest of all God's creatures. I want, to, I want to throw a thought out there. Yeah. Going back to where, uh, while, God, uh, while God shows his power by starting from nothing to make all he wants, you know, it is kind of, you know, when you think about it, you know, there are people who believe in the Big Bang, you know, like, 
and we believe in the scientific law that you know matter like you can't destroy matter you can't create matter matter can neither be created nor destroyed but only transformed from one form to another I think I remember that from high school science <laughs> yes um, so you know because like me going through my junior high science class you know they talk about it as like being a gas gas structure or something like that that had the big bang they, they, they described to us as gas I don't know what it is today yeah anyways but do you realize like what do you think about it? I mean we live on a small planet yeah you know how much matter is here yeah like you know how much matter you just if you just you know they they point that telescope in a direction they yeah see all those stars and yeah. stuff and you know how much matter there's it, a lot. You, you know, I was saying there's a lot of matter out there to where, you know, it's hard to imagine that it all started at a single point. Yeah. You know, yeah. because because they're saying it's expanding away. So so I mean, they all think there's a, the Big Bang. Right. There's a Big Bang, or you simply know, because kind of, we observe an expanding universe, they come up with this Big Bang. I have very, very little confidence in the Big Bang Theory. Yeah. But I, just on like, the face of it, think of it, an explosion. How does order... I mean, there are ordered galaxies. Mm -hmm. How does that come out of an explosion? How does order... Order doesn't come out of an explosion. An explosion takes order and makes chaos. So it doesn't seem to be logical at all to me that there is some sort of explosion, some big bang, from which order came out of. Doesn't seem logical to but, me. I am not a scientist, you know, but it doesn't pass the common sense test for me. Yeah, that's something I just thought. And it just seems to be based on the Doppler effect, the, the redshift effect. And there are scientists who have other, um, they have other explanations for that redshift that we see, other than that the universe is expanding. They, there are other explanations for it, may, may or may not be right. And the other thing is, if you had a, an explosion, you would think that all the particles in that explosion would be going out at, how should I say, the correct angles. But there are particles, you know, particles should be going out like this mm -hmm. from an explosion. Yeah. But there are planets and stars and stuff that are not moving in that direction at all. They're moving at a perpendicular direction to the explosion. So how does that happen? Yeah, you I'm not. I'm just a simple person. I just don't understand how things can. So many things can be going the wrong direction from the explosion. Yeah. I have no faith in the Big Bang. <laughs> well, but I just want to point out that there's a lot of matter. There out certainly there. is. And God made it all from nothing. And um, I have no problem believing that. And you know, that's so beautiful because 
I have complete and total hope in God, faith in God, and I'm facing the end of my life. I'm in the fourth quarter of life, and one of these days, this body's going to rot away in the grave. And then the one who created all things from nothing is going to resurrect me from the dead. He did it, he created everything, and he can do it again. Uh, we're on paragraph 300. God is infinitely greater than all his works. So true. You have set your glory above the heavens. Indeed, God's greatness is unsearchable. But because he is the free and sovereign creator, the first cause of all that exists, God is present to his creatures in most being. In him we live and move and have our being. In the words of St. Augustine, God is higher than my highest and more inward than my innermost self. It's true, God is transcendent. He is beyond all creation. He is the source of all creation, but he's also uh, imminent. He, he is within us. In him we live and move and have our being. We, God dwells, the Holy Trinity dwells in the person in a state of grace. So God is this transcendent God of the whole universe and yet he is a personal God who dwells in my soul. It's awesome. <clears throat> God upholds and sustains creation, paragraph 301. With creation, God does not abandon his creatures to themselves. He not only gives them being and existence, but also, and at every moment, upholds and sustains them in being enables them to act and bring them to their final end. Recognizing this utter dependence with respect to the Creator is a source of wisdom and freedom, of joy and confidence. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Give me a drink of water, please. For you love all things that exist, and detest none of the things that you have made. For you would not have made anything if you had hated it. How would anything have endured if you had not willed it? Or how would anything not called forth by you have persevered? You spare all things, for they are yours, O Lord, you who love the living. That's a quote from the Book of Wisdom. Section 5, God carries out his plan, divine providence. Creation has its own goodness and proper perfection, but it did not spring forth complete from the hand of the creator. The universe was created in a state of journeying toward an ultimate perfection yet to be attained, to which God has destined it. We call divine providence the dispositions by which God guides his creation toward this perfection. By his providence, God protects and governs all things which he has made, reaching mightily from one end of the earth to the other and ordering all things well. 
for all are open and laid bare to his eyes, even those things which are yet to come into existence through the free action of creatures. The witness of Scripture is unanimous that the solicitude of divine providence is concrete and immediate. God cares for all, from the least things to the great events of the world and its history. The sacred books powerfully affirm God's absolute sovereignty over the course of events. Quote, Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Unquote. And so it is with Christ, who opens and no one shall shut, who shuts and no one opens. As the book of Proverbs states, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will be established. And so we see the Holy Spirit, the principal author of sacred scripture, often attributing actions to God without mentioning any secondary causes. This is not a primitive mode of speech, but a profound way of recalling God's primacy and absolute lordship over history and the world, and so of educating his people to trust in him. The prayer of the Psalms is the great school of this trust. Jesus asked for childlike abandonment to the providence of our Heavenly Father, who takes care of his children's smallest needs. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink? Your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be yours as well. Yes, Jesus constantly calls us to put our trust in God in everything. And we can do that because God is almighty and he's all loving. Uh, so he can do whatever we need and whatever we need in his love he will give to us. And as I read that I thought of the, uh, the deist. The people, so many of the people at the beginning of America, they were deists. They felt as if God was the original watchmaker and he wound up the universe. He made the universe and he wound it up and he set it on the shelf like a clock and just lets it run on his own. And he doesn't have any connection to it. He doesn't interfere. He doesn't uh, uh, constantly tinker with it. And that is not at all. That deist way of looking at God is not at all what the church teaches. The church teaches that God is intimately connected to his creation. He holds it in existence all the time. He is right here with us and ready to answer our prayers and to intervene in human history. Uh, and he has so many times. Providence and Secondary Causes, paragraph 306. God is the sovereign master of his plan, but to carry it out, he also makes use of his creature's cooperation. This use is not a sign of weakness, but rather a token of Almighty God's greatness and goodness. For God grants his creatures not only their existence, but also the dignity of acting on their own, 
of being causes and principles for each other, and thus of cooperating in the accomplishment of his plan. It is so true. God doesn't need our help, but he often says, yeah, you guys can help me. I think immediately comes to mind is God made Adam and Eve, and then he says to Adam and Eve, you guys, through the use of your sexuality, you can make the rest of the human race. He didn't have to do it that way. He could have created every human being directly. But God allows us to cooperate in his plan for this world. Paragraph 307. To human beings, God gives even even gives the power of freely sharing in his providence by entrusting them with the responsibility of subduing the earth and having dominion over it. God thus enables men to be intelligent and free causes in order to complete the work of creation, to perfect its harmony for their own good and that of their neighbors. Though often unconscious collaborators with God's will, they can also enter deliberately into the divine plan by their actions, their prayers, and their sufferings. They then fully become God's fellow workers and co-workers for his kingdom. The truth that God is at work in all the actions of his creatures is inseparable from faith in God the Creator. God is the first cause who operates in and through secondary causes. For God is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Far from diminishing the creature's dignity, this truth enhances it. Drawn from nothingness by God's power, wisdom, and goodness, it can do nothing if it is caught, cut off from its origin. For without a creator, the creature vanishes. Still less can a creature attain its ultimate end without the help of God's grace. It is true, to do God's will, we must have his continuous help. Providence and the Scandal of Evil. Paragraph 309. If God the Father Almighty, the creator of the ordered and good world, cares for all his creatures, why does evil exist? To this question, as pressing as it is unavoidable, and as painful as it is mysterious, no quick answer will suffice. Only Christian faith as a whole constitutes the answer to this question. The goodness of creation, the drama of sin, and the patient love of God who comes to meet man by his covenants, the redemptive incarnation of his Son, his gift of the Spirit, his gathering of the church, the power of the sacraments, and his call to a blessed life to, to which free creatures are invited to consent in advance but from which, by a terrible mystery, they can also turn away in advance. There is not a single aspect of the Christian message that is not in part an answer to the question of evil. 
But why did God not create a world so perfect that no evil could exist in it? With infinite power, God could always create something better. But with infinite wisdom and goodness, God freely willed to create a world in a state of journeying toward its ultimate perfection. In God's plan, this process of becoming involves the appearance of certain beings and the disappearance of others. The existence of the more perfect alongside the less perfect. Both constructive and destructive forces of nature. With physical good, there, also ex there exists also physical evil, as long as creation has not reached perfection. We live in a world of original sin. I think if there had been no original sin, we would not have all the evils that we see, even the physical evils that we see today. It was a world, it was a paradise of goodness. But with original sin, we are in a world that there exists all types of evil, evil even other than moral evil, even other than choosing to disobey God, choosing sin. There, you know, we just had this terrible hurricane in, in the Carolinas, which did a lot of physical destruction. And um, those things are part of the uh, world of original sin. Well, I, so I have a question, though. I know it's not sin, but, I mean, uh, there should be, like, a lot of temptation, because obviously the first... Adam and Eve were tempted. Well, yes, but that's because the fallen angel, you know, the, uh -huh. the devils are fallen angels. Yeah. And, and they tempted Adam and Eve. But you're always, but I guess, you know, the, I, I guess what, the, even in a perfect world, so to speak, when you, you have, still had the illusion of Sin because there was so presented like, oh, you could still do something. The opportunity of it because God gave yeah. us a free will. He gave us a free will so we could love him. Yeah. If we didn't have a free will, we couldn't love him. And so wherever there's a free will, there's a possibility of, of sin, I guess, until that free will is fixed or perfected. Uh-huh. Mm, I don't know the answer to this. Do the, do the good angels today in heaven have a free will? They, their will is fixed, and they cannot sin. Mm -hmm. Or we might say their, their free will is perfected. Our Lord had a free will, and yet he could not sin. Being, being perfect goodness, he could not do evil. And yet he did have a, a, a will, a human will and a divine will. Yeah. And so... Um, I don't know exactly how to approach that. It seems to me that the, the will of the angels is, the good angels, is fixed uh, or perfected. Whereas the, the will of the demons in hell, they are stuck in hell forever. They will not repent. They cannot because they have made up their decision and it's, and it's a final decision for all eternity. 
Does that also mean when we die, our free will is perfected? I, I would think that would be the case. We need to go to heaven or hell. Well, once, once we have died and gone through judgment, it's, it's a done deal. You can't change. You're eternally with God, and you cannot lose your place in heaven. You could lose your place in heaven, you wouldn't be happy. I mean, there you wouldn't be perfectly happy. There would always be that nagging worry. That, nervous Nellies would still be Nervous Nellies. Yeah. <laughs> nervous Nellies would still be Nervous Nellies. That, that's a very profound truth there, Nick. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, so we... Revelation tells us that once you're in heaven and you enjoy the beatific vision, uh, you can't lose it. Now, the, the angels who were created, they were not created with that beatific vision. They were not created in that uh, context. God gave them some sort of test, and some of them failed it, and now their will is fixed against God. I guess the theoretical question would be if... Uh, if an evil spirit, if a demon uh, repented, would God forgive them and, and bring them back? But the thing is, they won't do it. They won't repent. Uh, the church teaches that they're, they're fixed in their condition and it's unchangeable. So they say they hold a grudge. Yeah. <laughs> and they're going to hold it for all eternity. Um, we're on paragraph 311. Angels and men, as intelligent and free creatures, have to journey toward their ultimate destinies by their free choice and preferential love. They can therefore go astray. Indeed, they have sinned, thus has moral evil, incommensurably more harmful than physical evil entered the world. Yes, that is how moral evil came into the world. A good person with a good free will chose to use it in the wrong way and, that, and thus evil came into the world. So it's our fault. It is not God's fault. God is in no way directly or indirectly the cause of moral evil. Yep, it's just what I just said. He permits it, however, because he respects the freedom of his creatures and mysteriously knows how to derive good from it. For Almighty God, because he is supremely good, would never allow any evil whatsoever to exist in his works if he were not so all-powerful and good as to cause good to emerge from evil itself. And I think that's something that a person has to constantly remember, that God allows good, he allows evil to occur that he might bring good out of it. I think you have to constantly remind yourself of that. Even the physical evil of the hurricane in the Carolinas, I'm sure there's lots of good things that are coming out of it. 
There are lots of human beings who are showing great love and sacrifice uh, toward their fellow neighbors. And so there's a lot of moral good coming out of this physical evil. Many times I don't think we actually see all of that. Uh, and we don't understand all of that. But I, a person has to constantly keep hold that God allows evil. He permits evil. He doesn't want evil. He permits it. Uh, so that good may come of it. 312. In time, we can discover that God in His almighty providence can bring a good from the consequences of an evil, even a moral evil caused by His creatures. It was not you, said Joseph to his brothers, who sent me here, but God. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive. Yeah, I always, when I teach that story about Joseph, sold by his brothers into slavery. And then later Joseph said, it wasn't you guys who sent me here. Well, actually, it was. They sold him to a caravan and took him down to Egypt. That's exactly what they wanted to have happen to him. But what he was saying is, God was using even your evil intent to bring about a great good. Joseph uh, interpreted Pharaoh's dream, and he stored up all the grain. And then when the years of famine came, uh, thousands, maybe millions of people did not starve to death because Joseph was there. And Joseph had the wisdom to see, ah, God's hand involved in this. To be sure, he said, you meant to do evil to me. You hated my guts and you sold me as a slave. You meant to do evil, but God meant it for good. Oh, it's, it's just a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful lesson. And this is a lesson that like I said, you have to firmly grasp it all your life long because so many terrible things can happen to you in your life. And there'll be people who are really mean to you. And there'll be people who do bad things to you. And there'll be, there'll be bad, I mean, car wrecks, cancer, heart attacks. You lose your job. You know, people in your life die. I mean, all kinds of things happen to us that we would never choose for ourselves. And yet God can bring such fantastic good things out of it. He can cause the conversion of souls. He can, he can literally save someone else's life. There was someone in Rushi, I won't mention a name, but there was someone in Rushi who was so shocked at my heart attack at age 40, he was a little bit older than me, that he decided to go get a physical. And when he went to the doctor to get a physical, which he had never done before, the doctor found that he had a very um, dangerous form of cancer that's like 97% fatal, but caught it at the exact very beginning. He said, if you'd have came two, three weeks ago, 
you wouldn't have had it yet. And if you'd have waited four or five more weeks, it would have been too far gone. You'd have died of it. He said you came at the exact right moment. So my heart attack saved his life. And the thing is, he told me about it a few years later. What if he had never told me about it? My evil of a heart attack would have saved another person's life, and I would have had no knowledge of it. See, that is, that is classic, this life conditions. 99 and 99 tenths of this life, we don't have a clue of what part we are playing. We don't know what part we're playing. I, I told that last night after the talk I gave to these people. We got I got talking to some of the adults and I said, you just have to be faithful to whatever God tells you to do because he's the master architect. He's the guy who's sewing the tapestry and we're just a threat. And we don't really know what part we're playing in it at all. We don't see the grand design. We don't see the plan. For example, I picked up a hitchhiker years ago on I-75 at Dayton. And I said, I'm not going too far. I'm only going about 20, 30 miles, and I'm going to turn off at Troy to come home. He said, that's okay. So I've been doing really good. He said, yesterday I left Miami of Florida. He said, the first ride took me to Atlanta. And he said, the next ride took me all the way to Dayton. And he said, you're the third person to pick me up. So I've done really good. Two rides, I got all the way from Miami, Florida to Dayton, Ohio. And he's on his way to Detroit. So he had, he had made most of his journey already. And after... I got away after we did our introductory comments. I always say what I always say. Do you love Jesus? This is the best line in the world. If you say it to a stranger, do you love Jesus? If they do, you just rejoice and, and you share your testimonies with each other and you have a great time. If they don't, well, then that gives you an open door. Let me tell you about my Jesus, because I love him so much, and here's why. It is the easiest way to evangelize people ever. Just say, do you love Jesus? It's a very harmless question. And you're just talking about your loved ones, like saying, do you love the Reds, or do you like the Cleveland Browns, or, you know. It's a very innocent way. And you get right to the core of it. Do you love Jesus? which is way better than saying, do you believe in him? Do you love him? Anyway, so I say to the guy, do you love Jesus? He starts, he immediately starts breaking down crying. This guy's like a 22-year-old male, you know. And he starts crying. I said, what's wrong? He said, the first guy that picked me up, he asked me that question when I got in, do you love Jesus? He said, the second guy in Atlanta, when he picked me up, he asked me that question, do you love Jesus? He said, now you're the third guy, and you asked me the same question. 
Do you love Jesus? He said, I think Jesus is trying to talk to me. <laughs> he said, I think Jesus is trying to get through to me. I said, he sure is, brother. And then I was able to really explain to him and close the deal. By the time he got out of my car, he was ready to follow Jesus for the rest of his life. You see, I had no idea where I was in God's plan. And I think about the first guy. He picked him up, dropped him off. He didn't see any change. The second guy picked him up and dropped him off. They just set the table for me. And I was able to bring him home. I recall what St. Paul said, one plants, another waters, but the Lord gives the growth. You just don't know where you are in God's plan. So just do whatever God tells you. Just do whatever God tells you. Just follow his plan as best you know it. And when we get to heaven, then we'll see how all of these things fit together. And we're going to be so absolutely amazed. We'll be so pleased. And on the other hand, I think there's going to be a great sadness like, why didn't I do God's plan? If I had done what God told me to do, that person there, their life would have been changed for the better. But I didn't do what I was supposed to do. I think that's going to be our greatest. You know, we're going to be sad that we committed sins. I really believe that we're going to be, like on our judgment, I think we're going to be terribly sad that we committed sins. But I am of the opinion that the greatest sadness, and this is just my opinion, I think the greatest sadness that we will have on Judgment Day is all the opportunities we missed, everything that we did not do. I think that's going to be our greatest, I think that's going to be our greatest sadness. God in His mercy will show us what we could have accomplished, what we could have done. And, uh, and I don't know. God in his wisdom can use somebody else if he doesn't use me. But if it, if it turns out, this is going to be really, really, really sad. I, I hope this is not how it turns out. But if it turns out that because of my inaction, some souls have gone to hell for all eternity. Oh my goodness. How are, we, how are we going to live with ourselves? Well, you can't, you, no, you can't, okay. You have to say, say, say yourself, if you get judged and you go to hell, you can't blame anybody but yourself. You know, you can't blame anybody but yourself. Well, I don't know. I don't think you can. You can't. You got. You got your no. own free will. You, you do your have own, your own free will. You got but your own intellect. Don't you think that if you'd have had a saintly parents who, who made Jesus seem so attractive, it's the old guy, the old saying, you can, uh, you can uh, lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Well, somebody said, you could make him drink if you put enough salt in his oats. I'm on. If, 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 if someone's life is so seasoned 
by the love of God shown to them by parents and friends and co-workers. They're almost, it's like you know they what happens when those people don't want to go along with it? They get new friends. Well, it's, well I'm just saying that's what happens. It, it's true. They, they don't want to hang out with that. I'm totally convinced that birds of a feather flock together. Mm -hmm. You know, if everybody around you loves Jesus, and you're determined not to, you will you will just not hang out with them. Yeah, I mean, that's been my experience. I mean, hey, if, if, if you don't want to walk that walk, you go somewhere else. Well, I just, it, I just think it's a great advantage to have salt in the oats. Yeah, you know, well, obvious, you know what I mean. obviously, you know, that, that goes back to that whole talents the the money yeah you know of like well you got one you got three you got five yeah you know some people had you know we're giving more they're not, not every not everybody is put in the same situation with the same opportunity you might Correct. say to be saved but it is possible for every human being to be saved mm -hmm. and again everybody's judgment is different we are talking about Everybody's judgment is different. Mysteries that are just beyond us. That's all there's to it. But, hey, you know, everybody, for the most part, everybody who is sane, you know, has a right mind. Yeah, a intellect. Normal, a normal intellect, you know, and stuff. They all know whatever they're doing today, is, is, is it something I should be doing or is it something I should be doing? And you are constantly making those decisions. Right. People yeah. are constantly using their free will and making moral choices. Yeah. Well, I mean, so it is, in my opinion, if you never hear of Jesus, I mean, obviously you're going to have a different test, but your whole life, you've either been making correct decisions or wrong decisions according to your conscience, you know, and, yeah. and that's kind of how you're judged to a certain degree. So it is up to you. If you have a free will, you're, you're making all your... You're absolutely right. Jesus said, to whom much is given, much is required. To whom more is given, even more is required. Mm -hmm. So, yes. If, you're, if your parents are... Uh, what, uh, Louis and Zelly Martin, the parents of St. Therese, you know, I think they're a married couple who are canonized. That'd be pretty cool to have canonized saints for your parents. Um, if you're grow if you grow up in in that kind of household, you got you got quite an advantage. Mm -hmm. But yet, God says if you're given that kind of advantage, He expects a lot out of you. We're we've been very blessed here. I know I've been blessed with wonderful parents and a wonderful parish and and all this. So. Um, we just put ourselves at the at the divine mercy and ask for that. Okay, we got to get back to where we were. Right, let's see, where were we? Um, um, I think we were on paragraph three eleven. Oh yeah, and we said that God allows evil and that He can bring good and He can bring good from it. Oh yes, we were we were down there with the three twelve. We were down there with the Joseph in Egypt and his brothers selling him to slavery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, from the greatest moral evil ever committed, 
the rejection and murder of God's only Son, caused by the sins of all men, God by His grace that abounded all the more, brought the greatest of goods, the glorification of Christ and our redemption. But for all that, evil never becomes a good. True, as St. Paul writes, you may not do evil that good come of it. God never allows me to choose evil. I'm never allowed to do evil for what I might think is a greater purpose. But God permits evil that good can come out of it. And like it says, the worst evil in the world, the, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, brought the greatest good ever, the redemption of the whole world. Paragraph 313. We know that in everything God works for good for those who love him. That's a famous line from the book of Romans. We know that in everything God works for good for those who love him. The constant witness of the saints confirms this truth. St. Catherine of Siena said to those who are scandalized and rebel against what happens to them, everything comes from love. All is ordained for the salvation of man. God does nothing without this goal in mind. Right. Like I said before, you're going to have so many things in life happen to you that you would have never chosen on your own. But if you look at everything through God's point of view, in some way, this unpleasantness, this evil, this terrible event can be for your spiritual good if you approach it correctly. As I always tell the students, you can become bitter or you can become better. Whatever this thing is, that's weighing you down, whatever this, 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 this event in life or this happening or this person, uh, they can be mean as heck to you, but if you view it in the right way, it could be a means of your sanctification. It could make you a better person. St. Thomas More, shortly before his martyrdom, consoled his daughter. Nothing can come but that that God wills. And I, excuse me, and I make me very sure that whatsoever that be, seem it never so bad in sight, it shall indeed be the best. So Thomas More is, is facing his martyrdom and he's saying, look, God's in control. God is allowing this evil king to do this evil thing to me. But it's for the best because God is allowing it. If God did not want it to happen, it wouldn't happen. And so it's really a test of our faith, the complete and total trust in divine providence. Whatever comes, it's okay. And because God is all-powerful, and he's all-loving. And so if he allows this in my life, it must be fine, and I say yes to it. I don't like having heart surgeries, but if I have to keep having them, so be it.
Julian of Norwich said, Here I was taught by the grace of God that I should steadfastly keep me in the faith, and that at the same time I should take my stand on and earnestly believe in what our Lord, what our Lord showed me showed in this time, that all manner of things shall be well. It's just an older way of saying it's all going to be okay. We firmly believe that God is master of the world and of its history, but the ways of his providence are often unknown to us. Only at the end, when our partial knowledge ceases, when we see God face to face, will we fully know the ways by which even through the dramas of evil and sin, God has guided his creation to that definitive Sabbath rest for which he created heaven and earth. Yeah, that's what I said before. Only in the end, when we're with God and we know all things with God, will we understand where we fit and where all these things fit in God's great plan. Well, we're going to stop at that point. It's a good stopping part, a uh, good stopping point, and uh, let's pray. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Lord, give us complete faith and trust in you, so that no matter what happens to us, each and every day, throughout the day, that we will accept it as coming from your loving hand and for the ultimate salvation of our soul and the souls of our neighbors. Give us that trust, Lord. Give us that faith. Help us always to remember that you can bring good out of evil. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.